disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. What I don't want to see happen is, as the cord gets pared back, or sliced as they say, I don't want this onslaught of streaming services to take away the imperative of there being programming for all parts of our society. Look around. Satellite, wireless, wireline, baby bell, mega bell, cable, data, voice, Game of Thrones. It's all mashing up amid massive technological disruption and changing consumer demands. Who to ask about all of this but my favorite media mogul, Leo Hendry. He's ours for the hour. Stay with us. This episode is made possible by our friends at Elwood Thompson's. I'll tell you time and again, it's the best market in Virginia, hands down. It's not even a contest. Customer empowerment, non-GMO, no advertising to children, locally made and prepared foods, healthy oils. I mean, there's a food advocate, a health coach. Elwood eats their recipes. You can, of course, avail yourself of the beat if you need a space for a class, tasting, workshop, private meeting, shindig. It's available for rent Monday through Wednesday. Just contact my pal, Taylor Richardson. I love Rick and Molly Hood. I love this store. I would not preach it every week if it wasn't so. Visit them at the corner of Elwood and Thompson Streets, hence the name, and of course at elwoodthompsons.com. Joining me from NPR's gorgeous, palatial New York City studio opposite Brian Park is none other than Leo Hendry, one of my favorite media watchers, one of my favorite media moguls. He was, in a past life, CEO of AT&T Broadband. He's currently the managing partner of Intermedia Partners, a New York media industry private equity fund. He races cars. He's on the Council of Foreign Relations. Sir, do you tap dance as well? (laughs) Only if my car goes off the road. Well, look. I, I, I love that you're a grandpa. I love that, you know, I profiled you, was it for Smart Money, uh, the Wall Street Journal's magazine back in 2003 when it was a very different world. In fact, I believe you were the CEO of Yes Network there, the Yankees uh, network uh, in the tri-state area that, that, you know, everybody kind of envied. It, it was something we had started actually just before 9-11, and you were generous to reach out to me, and we had a fun time talking about about sports, media, and and the new, and the dreaded New York Yankees. Well, I'm just thinking because this week AT and T is front and center. And mind you, AT and T is very different today than what it was at the turn of the century. I can't believe I'm dropping turn of the century. Back then, it was a huge broadband play. Uh, Ma Bell, traditional Ma Bell, um, bought out. TCI, telecommunications, which was the cable company that you headed. Um, And it was a huge broadband play at the turn of the century. This was in the heyday of Excite at Home and whatnot. And it had really bulked up on this until they realized that they had overextended themselves, overlevered themselves. The current, the modern day stub AT&T, kind of the landline and cable business, Comcast ended up buying it on the cheap from them. You urged these guys, you urged management to double down on wireless uh, at the turn of the century, which now we see is is really Southwestern Bell, which then assumed the AT&T name. I know this is really confusing, and Ma Bell was broken up you know, in the mid-'80s, in the early-'80s. They now are facing a dilemma. The stock is at a multi-year low. People are questioning the dividend. They're on the verge of buying Time Warner, which owns Warner Brothers Studios and HBO. I mean, do you even have time to scratch your head at all of this? You know, just to, to correct the record a little bit, Robin, I actually was the advocate of the broadband strategy, which is why I was comfortable 
letting TCI be acquired by AT&T. The wireless technologies, which bring such commercial and and, and social value uh, to all of society, are right now not the greatest business. And and I I think I saw some of that coming. Uh, When AT&T and Verizon dominated the wireless industry, Robin, uh, in what was called a duopoly, uh, there was a, a comfort level around the absence of, of genuine competition. Now, almost everybody's in wireless. Uh, and the reason Time Warner is being sold or being acquired by AT&T, the reason Yahoo and AOL were acquired by Verizon, is, is a discontent with their wireless holdings from a competitive and pricing point of view. But isn't that structural? I mean, if more people are just banking on an anonymous Wi-Fi connection or voice over IP calls, you're not as beholden to the carrier for data overages or voice or paying them texts like you used to, that it's it's kind of more innovator die. Let's not forget, after all, if I'm not mistaken, AT&T also bought DirecTV. They did. And, and probably in hindsight, they wish they hadn't. Uh, technology has evolved, Robin, to the point where what is obvious is that the best broad the best broadband connection is still what we call wireline, complemented by an an attendant sort of wireless uh, opportunity. So Comcast uh, and under a product called Xfinity uh, Spectrum, which uh, is now owned by Charter, the larger cable companies have really beefed up their broadband offerings. And uh, they're going to be offering soon, some have already started, a, a complimentary wireless product. That will be the best for the, 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 the stay-at-home users of Internet broadband access. It'll be the best alternative for those who, in, in, the, in, in a more transient way, sort of roam around society. What hasn't proven as, as valuable as was once conjectured is satellite delivery. Uh, so DirecTV and Dish Network, uh, both are suffering competitively right now. And uh, uh, that said, there's tremendous structural changes underway in, in what the broadband connection is supposed to bring the average consumer. There's a growing indifference to what you do with broadband. Do you, do you watch traditional television? Do you surf the web? Do you, do you use commerce? Do you educate your children? Do you use the broadband even for your home security? Uh, what is important, however, is the, un, the, the sort of the viability and the, and the sort of uh, dominance, Robin, of the broadband connection. Whoever delivers a broadband connection to you wirelessly and, and in a wireline manner is going to prevail. Leo, didn't we used to call that a dumb pipe? I mean, no offense to your TCI history. I was a store cable customer in, in uh, you know, Miami. I think it became TCI. We've all we still have our cable connections now. Mine is Comcast. They don't even call themselves Comcast much. You hear Xfinity to kind of mitigate the, the fact that they're not very popular as a brand with customers. But whether you're selling me whether whether let's say the the prototypical millennial coming out of college just wants to buy, uh, um, you know, a. a data connection uh, with Wi-Fi capabilities so he or she can just stream over the top and get Spotify over the phone. How is that not terrifying every cable company? If you're just selling an anonymous, they used to call it a dumb pipe. I think these are just dumb bars right now, as long as you get the Wi-Fi bars. Well, it, it's a dumb pipe, but it's an increasingly capable dumb pipe. If you talk to the cable company managers, they really do express, Robin, an indifference to what you do once connected. 
if you go over the top, so to speak, uh, and, and bring into your home Netflix or Hulu or one of the streaming services, or if you bring into your home or on your, wi- on your wireless device uh, traditional cable networks, or if you surf the web for educational or informational or political purposes, or as I said, even if you use the internet connection for your home security, what, what, where the indifferences lie is, is, a, is, a, is coming together, Robin, is uh, when you and I first talked about this issue, the, 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 the media industry was preponderantly vertically integrated. The, the larger companies, of which I had the privilege of running some of them, uh, owned both distribution and content. Mm. And, and the most notable change in the media landscape of the last decade is the cleaving, the separation between content and distribution. Uh, so Xfinity, Spectrum, uh, DirecTV, Dish TV, uh, the wireless companies, Verizon, AT&T, they don't own content like they used to. And, and obviously, Randall Stevenson at, at uh, AT&T is trying to correct that with his proposed purchase of Time Warner, Inc. But this cleaving is very important to understand and get your hands around. And, and there's almost an animosity developing between the content producers and the content distributors. And uh, uh, nobody is cutting the cord. I think that's an overused phrase, Robin. But they're certainly in many, many ways slicing the cord, abbreviating the cord, narrowing the cord down to be more uh, responsive to their own personal interests. I mean, in addition to all of your responsibilities, you know, personal life-wise and professional life-wise, I wonder if you wanted to open, start a garage band called the Skinny Bundle. <laughs> well, the, uh, the, the terminology like OTT, all this stuff is just crazy. Fat bundle, skinny bundle, uh, streaming, you have Hulu in there, you have Netflix in there, Apple wants to be a player, Amazon with Amazon Prime. I mean, could you have seen that coming at the turn of the century? And in addition, when you talk about distribution and content being the prevailing paradigm again, of course, that was what brought AOL and Time Warner together. I remember everybody's like, wow, you're going to be able to get Time Warner Cable and AOL, and this is a fat broadband play and CNN and HBO. And we know that was the, in 2020 hindsight, that was the most ill-starred mega merger in history. Here you have Time Warner, which a few years ago spun off Time Warner Cable and made itself a pure play content company. Right, you have HBO, yeah, the, and, the Turner and, things, the sports assets, and again, it's shacking up with distribution, but in a different world, like satellite distribution and the number two wireless car- carrier. And this is what an eighty-five billion dollar deal, notionally. I mean, it's not it's not a rounding error for a company as as huge as AT and T. No, but in the case of AT and T, it's it's a commentary on the viability into the long term of their standalone wireless business. You know, Robin, they could have bought hardware stores or grocery stores. They decided to buy Time Warner, Inc. What's important about this conversation is the fact that Time Warner used to own both its content, Time Warner, Inc., Twix, and its distribution, Time Warner Cable. And and it's important to go back to this point that what's happened is this cleaving. And there is a disaffection with the big bundle. And it's not with what's on the big bundle. It's the price of the big bundle. And in some people's eyes and minds, that bundle has become too expensive because the sports component of the big bundle is now costing the average consumer, average household, 
Robin, here in the United States, something on the order of $35 to $40 a month when you add all the sports pieces together. So people are saying, well, that's too expensive. So I'm going to go... I'm going to go to I'm going to head towards what's called streaming services that are more tailored to my interests only. Yet eight companies now are trying to offer you a streaming product at 8 at 10 to 15 dollars per product. So yeah, why reinvent the wheel? I see I see when people try to, you know, crunch these numbers it doesn't make sense. Why not just go with the single bill from the uh, what do we used to call them? MSO? <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, 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 the multi-system the operator. The multi-system operator. The, there's a social implication here that I think your listeners would, would be interested in, Robin. As, as these macro companies try to adjust to these technology changes, the consumer habit changes, uh, the cost of programming in some people's eyes getting overly expensive, we have to be careful that we don't disrespect the diversity of this country. Uh, we, we've deliciously built a country based on immigration and the big bundle uh, was perf- very, very sensitive to that. We, we have programming for women and men of African-American heritage, Hispanic-American heritage, our LGBT community, the evangelical community, uh, women's programming uh, that, that separates itself from, from sort of the, the more general family entertainment. I think that's the most productive, wonderful thing that ever happened. I don't want to wake up tomorrow morning and find that there's been a a diminishing of the programming available to these special interests or or communities of interests that we've just described. Uh, And I felt very comfortable this morning, and I I think you did probably as Robin as well. I know that I have subsidized with my bill uh, African-American programming, of which I'm not one, Hispanic-American programming, of which I'm not one. I was chairman, as you may recall, of C-SPAN for quite a while. Right. I think it's very important that C-SPAN be on the dial, even though not very many people uh, listen to it on a day-to-day or view it on a day-to-day basis. I'll be on Sunday, by the way. Catch me on C-SPAN Sunday morning on Washington Journal. Go ahead. Well, I think it's (laughs) critical. I I think it's critical that C-SPAN, Robin, continue. Yeah. And uh, what I I don't want to see here happen is – uh, sort of uh, as as the cord gets pared back or or, sh- or uh, sliced, as they say, uh, I don't want this this onslaught of streaming services to take away the imperative of there being programming for all parts of our society. Sure, but Leo, even you have to admit, and you are a cable industry veteran, and but you've always been a voice for independence. If you're out there and you're realizing, I don't, I don't know if the analogy is like if I walk into Kroger and they're like, okay, you must pay $130 for a full shopping cart and you can pick many of the things that you want, but I'm also going to stuff it with things you don't want. When I look at my, you know, 150 channels and nothing's on, cable... Uh, relationship. I turn on the Xfinity box. There's the overwhelming majority of stuff that I never touch, and it's cheap. And I'm only really wedded to the sports programming. I like things on my terms. I like to DVR it, and so naturally people are going to chafe. I mean, in a period of disruption, if they're looking around, a hundred, hundred and twenty, thirty bucks a month. If I get a chance to a la carte, that darn it, I'm going to pursue it. Well, we, what we need to be careful, though, is that nobody can argue against the the incentive to do that. And everybody has acknowledged that for decades now, they have indirectly subsidized programming that's not specifically in their interest. 
That said, the reason the disaffection is so acute now is because the sports piece of the bundle, the inescapable, involuntary piece of the bundle called sports, has risen, as I said earlier, to about $35 to $40 a month when you add all the pieces. Hmm. We're watching sports in 10, 11, 12 venues when we used to watch it in one called ESPN. And, and we have uh, NBA on on TNT. We have uh, MLB bas- TBS baseball covering the you know t- you the Yes Network, right. which used to run in various regional sports networks, and and they have paid for rights several years going into forward. And that there's a lot of fear and loathing right now as to whether they're going to well, be able and, to sustain those subscribers. Well, what what I what I what I would have preferred to see happen is that expensive programming of which sports is the most expensive. I wish it had been offered a la carte and that greater effort had been paid to keeping the bundle mm-hmm. intact for the overall uh, society that we live in so proudly. Sure. Hold that thought because I want to I want to peg you on it. Um, we are talking to Leo Hendry's managing partner of media private equity shop Intermedia Partners. He in the past life was CEO of AT&T Broadband, the Yes Network. He uh, sits on the Council of Foreign Relations. I do want to quote from a story in Reuters that there's unusual unanimity in opposition to the mega merger of AT&T and Time Warner, the the huge takeout. Uh, Seven groups ranging from the Tea Party patriots to liberal liberal consumer groups warned against AT&T's plan to buy Time Warner in a letter to Attorney General Jeff Sessions, saying the deal could give one company too much power over what Americans see on television. Um, AT&T, the number two wireless carrier, which already owns satellite television service DirecTV, is in the process of buying Time Warner for $85 billion in an effort to turn itself into a media powerhouse that can bundle mobile service with video. It had said it expects the deal to close by the end of the year. Owning DirecTV makes AT&T the top pay TV firm. Combining that clout with Time Warner, which owns HBO, CNN, and the movie studio Warner Brothers, would make AT&T even more powerful, the seven groups warned. So in defense of AT&T, though, um, uh, you have ESPN, which is the the premium charger of cable companies. It's owned by Disney, uh, charging all the cable companies increasing amounts every year to carry, like you say, the $35 load on on the typical cable bill. Uh, These guys are trying to bundle up on clout as well. I mean, they want to be able to say that, look, we have a whole suite of channels underneath us right now. I mean, in a hugely consolidated world, can you blame them for trying to cobble these these disparate assets together? And, And there's a land grab on the cable dial. I think, Robin, I think the transaction should go forward with some provisions placed on it. Uh, It it doesn't concern me, given the the plethora of content throughout the world, that Time Warner, Inc. might be bought by AT&T because AT&T's wireless business is is struggling, as is its direct TV business. It's it's not inappropriate that the management, the leadership of AT&T looks to diversify. What would be important to me is to not see then that content, however, be parceled out only to AT&T wireless customers or direct TV customers. I I don't want to wake up and find CNN and TNT and TBS only restricted to uh, uh, AT&T distribution. And so I think the transaction will go forward. I think it should go forward. I think the FCC and the Justice Department should require AT&T as a condition of purchasing Time Warner, Inc. to share its content with all distributors, 
without preference only to the AT&T distribution model. Let me ask you, why are these guys struggling? I mean, I do look at it largely as a duopoly. You have AT&T and Verizon, Verizon number one, AT&T number two, T-Mobile and Sprint kind of always fiddling around, nibbling on each other's necks and talking about the merger that could or cannot happen. They've all tried to buy one another, but there was a lot of concern several years ago when AT&T was exclusive for, for the iPhone when it first came out. And I did a story for Business Week on the iHogs, which very nearly brought down AT&T's network in 2010 in Manhattan and in San Francisco. That's since been mitigated. I mean, what other option do you have if you want to go and get a smartphone? Can you really just use your cable company? Can you really just uh, uh, throw away the data plan and not pay your cable, not pay the wireless company 80, 90, 100 bucks a month? Well, where the breakage has occurred is that duo- the duopoly has been smashed. T-Mobile and Sprint compete every day, every night, Robin, on uh, price. Uh, I've seen ads, you've seen them for, with your family that say, you know, if you don't like your wireless bill, we'll cut it in half. And we have and seen T-Mobile. Like T-Mobile has kind of quote-unquote bundled Netflix, free Netflix, into its plans most recently. Yeah, That's so, a big push. And I can see that at, at the same time as this AT&T Time Warner deal closes, they're touting free HBO. And you've seen others offer free season of MLB and your favorite team. It's funny that what what was old and what was prevailing at the turn of the century, the bundling of distribution and content, which was apparently debunked with the Time Warner AOL mega merger, is really back in vogue. Well, uh, the, the predicate behind a monopoly and the predicate behind a duopoly is 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 price control. That you you eat what I serve and you pay what I charge. And uh, wireless is anything but a price-controlled environment right now. Uh, you and I could this afternoon, Robin, if we wish, go to Walmart and buy a, a quite capable wireless product called Cricket. Uh, we're bombarded with ads for uh, lower capability, lower-cost wireless services every night. Uh, T-Mobile, uh, as, as we've talked, is, is and Sprint are willing to cut your Verizon and AT&T bills in half. And if you want to negotiate below that, they'll talk to you. So it, it's not, it's not, it's not uh, surprising to me, I guess is the way I'd express it, Robin, that Verizon went and bought AOL and then went and bought Yahoo. Uh, it's not surprising to me that Randall Stevenson at uh, AT&T wants to buy Time Warner, Inc., as I said, they could have also gone the Whole Foods route of Jeff Bezos at Amazon. <laughs> when, when you have a business that's business model is eroding and is being questioned into the future, you're 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 obligated as a fiduciary to to you know stick your finger in the hole in the dike. And I just I have no problems with Time Warner being sold as I believe it will be to, to AT and T. All that would concern me is if that wonderful. Time Warner programming was then retarded and, and available only on AT&T devices, only on AT&T directly, DirecTV, which it owns. Talk about wonderful Time Warner programming. I'm going to throw you for a loop here. What about CNN? You've had huge knocks on CNN that that quality is degraded. It used to be the standard bearer for cable news. It's faced the onslaught from the late Roger Ailes and Fox, and uh, it's become you know more headline chasing and entertainment and man bites dog chasing. Um, what is its value in the grand scheme of things to someone like an AT&T? And is there, is there an antitrust concern with 
uh, a major carrier. And I don't know, th- this is a brave new world. I know it would have been unthinkable in the early 80s or the mid-90s, but, you know, Ma Bell is about to own CNN. Well, I, I was around at the creation of uh, CNN, uh, and I think it's one of the proudest things the media industry as a whole has ever accomplished. Uh, I'm of an age where I, I have recollections of things in pictures, and my daughter uh, has recollections of, of news and, and, and major events in video. And her most memorable experience, if you talk to her, is that young man standing so bravely in front of the tanks at Tiananmen right, Square. Right, CNN covering that. I remember Bernard Shaw, and they uh, shut off the cameras, and I, I was, remember was where a, I was. It was a breathtaking thing. And, and Mikhail Gorbachev will tell you the reason the old Soviet Union largely broke down is because CNN could jump over the wall. What, what's happened in, in news, however, is it's no longer just news. It's wildly opinionated in the case of Fox. It's arguably no less opinionated in the case of MSNBC. Do they eat all three cover news when it happens? Sure. That, that's their DNA, as they say. What, uh, what I don't want to see, as I've said in any context, I don't want to see CNN suddenly available only on AT&T devices because it's soon to be owned by AT&T. Uh, but I'm, as, I'm even more concerned about this effort by Sinclair Broadcasting to take the airwaves, which are uh, given to them at the prerogative of, of the country, and turn S- Sinclair Broadcasting, which own, will soon own television stations throughout the land, into a conservative-only voice. Uh, I think it's imperative that broadcast news remain balanced and fair and, and non-partial. Uh, so there are concerns. Uh, I, I think that the whole web issue, uh, whether it's Facebook or Google, uh, fake news or unfake news, uh, Russian he- intervention or non-Russian intervention, we have to be very careful here that we don't parse news, opinion, and politics in such ways that the body politic, as we call it, uh, Robin, is is adversely affected. Has, has all of this ship kind of sailed from a regulatory perspective? We used to worry about uh, the local TV station owning the local newspaper. And it's not, I mean, or or a cable company owning a wireless company. Uh, or You couldn't imagine uh, two regional monopolies merging. But now voice over IP calling, cable calling. You don't know if you have a landline, if it's from the old baby bell, or if it's from a cable company, or if you're using Wi-Fi dialing. All the chips are up in the air, and the, the old competitive lines are kind of being redrawn and, and gerrymandered in an interesting way. Are you worried uh, by kind of the, the FCC's hands-off approach to this, and, and especially what we're seeing with net neutrality? Uh, I, I was one of the f- folks that sort of coined the phrase net neutrality, and I thought it meant three things, and it's proven to be something quite otherwise. I thought that that poor kids should have as much access to the internet as as rich kids. Uh, I, I use an example of the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. I, I've spent an early part of my career working on the Navajo Indian Reservation, and I, I don't want to find out that distant places and 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 places of lesser means don't have the same internet capabilities. As, as the wealthiest and, and, and the more highly paid of our society. So that, for me, was net neutrality. Net neutrality also did mean for me that if you owned both Internet access and Internet content, 
you shouldn't be allowed to discriminate against content you don't own in favor of content you do own. That's that sort of vertical integration argument. And the third was that if you eat a lot, you should pay a lot. Uh, I, I think it is unfortunate that the cable industry, the broadband industry, uh, has been retarded from charging big users of broadband, such as Netflix, uh, a higher price for access than, than the smallest uh, applicant to the, to the web. And, uh, but all I want to find out at the end of the day is that we don't partition this country entirely based on our politics. Uh, I think it's critical by hook or by crook, Robin, that we stay with enough impartial, unbiased voices that the electorate can make informed choices, not not biased choice. Mm. Leo, if you can, take me to the world of sports and, and specifically ESPN struggles and, and the number of cord cutters. Obviously, this was the most envied. It, it still is to a large extent. Property on the cable dial. Disney gets to charge usurious amounts well above the rate of inflation uh, increases every year. But as people were cutting the cord, uh, the scenario has kind of peaked. ESPN has been letting go of staff. There is worry on Wall Street that um, as that cash flow kind of diminishes, it can't make good on some of the long-term sports deals it's signed with, whether you're watching MLB or, or NBA. I want to know, stepping back from all this, again, as somebody who feels like a dinosaur every time I use the Xfinity remote and I turn on the box and I watch World Series, why can't I have a one-to-one relationship with my beloved Los Angeles Dodgers, with my Miami Dolphins, my L.A. Lakers, especially as virtual reality is entering into the equation. I'd rather they'd capture the rents. I don't want to pay it to a cable company. I don't want it to go to ESPN. Why can't management just, you know, whether I'm in, in D.C. and I'm a Dodgers fan or I'm in Denver, I'm a Dodgers fan, or I'm in Dubai, uh, why can't I just, you know, shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Be, be careful that you don't blame the cable company for being much of an intermediary anymore. Uh, the, 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 but, the, but, Leo, I don't really need them. I can get an MLB package and stream every game that I want. If I'm well, that much I, of a wonk that I'll follow like a third-place team, see, you know? And, and, and that's my point. My point is that expensive services, most especially sports services, should, in my opinion, be offered a la carte. They should be offered only to the women and men, the families that want them. The problem is, uh, if you sit in the in the shoes of ESPN, not two years ago, just over two years ago, Robin, about a hundred million households were paying each month for ESPN, but they were also paying each month for the seven, eight, nine other sports services that had some of the sports they didn't get on ESPN. And when you added that number up, it was about thirty-five dollars, about forty dollars per household here in the United States every day for a month of service just of your sports channels. And now ESPN has about 88 million households mm. uh, paying for its service. And, and you're a clever guy, and I'm relatively clever. It's very hard as a manager to turn 100X into 88Y. Mm. And then when 88 becomes 85 million households, not 88, or 65 million households, only about a third of the country is interested enough in sports to pay a large amount for it. But involuntarily, 
the entire country has been to date paying for sports. You know, but and, and there are many women and men who who don't watch any sports, but they pay. That's in their what cable kills bill. me. It's what's so bass backwards. With all due respect, like. I see a lacrosse guy. I want to punch a lacrosse guy. I didn't like those guys in college. I don't want to pay for college lacrosse. I don't want to pay for NASCAR. Apologies. I know you're a passionate race car driver. I don't want to pay for NHL hockey, golf. I don't need any of that jazz. I want it. Why is it so hard? I know these guys lobby a lot. I know they're the top lobbyists in the country and Comcast Cable Town is big and Time Warner Charter is big and Verizon and Time Warner. I just want to watch my teams. I don't even care about the other teams and your cellar dwellers. And there's just so much waste. And we do know that the Internet, if nothing else, is kind of efficient. It's rationalized my world, the magazine world, uh, where you know you, you would bundle a lot of things that the reader didn't want with things that he did want and, and force a schedule on him. It's rationalizing the TV world where – the 30-second commercial is really not in vogue. We've had DVR being a phenomenon now for almost 20 years. Um, it, it's just taking – this is like a this is like a torturous um, – this is a torturous kind of, a, you know, come-to-Jesus moment for, writ large, the distribution and content industry. And I know that was a long screed, but I had to get that out. I, I think you should be able to decide how you use the, the broadband for your entertainment and and if you wish to watch Netflix or Hulu as opposed to broadcast television, if you prefer to watch broadcast television over the traditional cable channels, I have no problems with that being a singular prerogative, Robin, of you and your family. What I don't want to see, however, is uh, one category of programming, specifically high-cost sports, have deleterious effects on the whole of society. I don't want to wake up and find that this delicious country that we've built on immigration finds itself underserved because the majority, which will be white for a few more years, is being well served, but our minority communities, our, our faith communities, our LGBT community are, are not getting the programming that they once got from because of the bundle. But I, I, I will never sit here and tell you that, that somebody should be forced to watch uh, what, they're, what they're uncomfortable with, what they're uncomfortable paying with paying for. But again, be careful here that you don't have an unintended consequence that is, as I said, deleterious. Mm. We are talking to Leo Hendry. He's managing partner of media private equity shop Intermedia Partners. You're a veteran of the cable industry, a veteran uh, executive of the Yes Network, the Yankees Entertainment Network, uh, the, the channel that we all knew and loved in, in Manhattan and couldn't live without. Um, I, I do want to, in the few minutes left, just kind of leave it open-ended for you. I mean, you are a person who has uh, many relationships in Washington, D.C. You've always been a concerned citizen. You could have you could afford to kind of retire and go off and, and close off the world and just spend time with your family. Uh, what's keeping you up at night with respect to what's going on in D.C. right now? Well, I, I'm, I'm terribly concerned about our foreign relations and, and uh, Im, impetuous behavior, perhaps, by our president. But, you know, I didn't grow up with much means as a young man. I, I, we would be, have been considered in the lower or lower class. But I was white and I was male and I was fairly clever. And the system allowed for excellence. And I, I like living in a country built on immigration, but I am very concerned right now that large parts of our population, the middle class in general, many of our ethnic communities uh, are, are being disadvantaged as we accumulate massive amounts of wealth at the very top of society. 
when you have three or four percent of wage earners, Robin, earning half of the nation's income, when you have the average family struggling for their American dream for their children, in, uh, uncertain about their own future employment, especially concerned about their ultimate retirement security, and and still spotty health care, uh, that keeps me up at nights. It, it keeps me active. It keeps me concerned. And uh, I now couple that with uh, very potentially aggressive behavior in foreign relations and military offense. Uh, and so uh, I find plenty to do in that regard. Not too long ago, your name was floated as a possible successor to my governor now, Terry McAuliffe, the outgoing governor, as head of the Democratic National Committee. You're surely watching all of the hand-wringing over how did you guys mess up 2016 and how did you get played? I mean, what with redistricting and gerrymandering and um, you can't even you can't even foment uh, a solid opposition to this hugely unpopular president. Uh, kind of what's your take from the seats at this point in, in, in your career? I mean, how is the party going to reconstitute? You know, I, I think the average family in the United States wants five things. They want the American dream for their children, including education. They want a fair wage for their employment. They want the health care for the entirety of their family. They want retirement security for the older members of the family. And they do want what, what I would refer to as security security. They want to feel safe in their country. Uh, I think we didn't do the best job we could have of expressing how capable I still find the Democratic Party in addressing all five of those fingers on my hand. Uh, when we lose Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and uh, Wisconsin, it's to more than just poor gerrymandering. It's, it's to more than uh, uh, just a, an electoral college that has somewhat dated itself, in my opinion. What it means is we haven't been talking up our capabilities versus the intentions and in, in absence of capabilities of the other side. Uh, I, I have been a lifelong Democrat. I, I like being a Democrat. I, I like focusing on the issues of the middle class. And uh, I hope we get another good shot at it in 18 and, and again in 2020. Who is the standard bearer for the party right now? I mean, it seems like, you know, if, if, if the Bernie bros are saying we told you so and you should have given our guy the nomination instead of Hillary Clinton with her very high negatives last year and especially how it didn't sell in states like Wisconsin or Pennsylvania, um, he has not been a, a DNC person. I mean, after all, he was an independent who came in on tangent. Uh, who owns the party right now? Who is the, like, you know, tantamount to Barack Obama after John Kerry failed to win the presidency? Uh, President Obama and Senator Obama really had just two competitors for the nomination, uh, Secretary, then Senator Clinton and John Edwards, and uh, also a former senator. Uh, as of last count, uh, Robin, 12 or 14 very capable women and men have announced their interests of showing up in Iowa, so to speak, in 2020. Uh, I think the party doesn't have a singular head right now. I think that's important that it not. Uh, I would be comfortable with all of these 14 or so people that have expressed some interest. I think what we need to do as a party is talk out of a lot of mouths right now as we try to coalesce a message, try to reflect on why we lost the election uh, to a man that I find on, on so many areas concerning uh, and uh, so I, I don't. I, we don't have a standard bearer. I, I'm glad we don't. I think it's too early, 
And I look forward to the debate that will bring forward our next nominee. Mm. And, you know, finally, while I still have you, I'm really interested in the future of of, uh, public broadcasting writ large, let's say NPR and PBS, and not just from a regulatory perspective and all the saber rattling and that um, this regime is going to cut CPB dollars. You were involved with C-SPAN quite heavily. I see your activism with the Columbia University uh, School of Journalism. How do these guys, let's just say technologically, in the era of cord cutting and in the era of, especially with with NPR, I wonder about this as a huge smartphone wonk, as somebody who adores his Bluetooth connection in his car. And I take my radio on the go and I get music from Spotify and Pandora. I get public radio from NPR One. And I don't feel the need to send uh, pledge drive money to my local affiliate. It's largely been cut out. Uh, how are these guys going to adapt to that kind of new normal, especially with kind of a perceived funding aggression from D.C.? You know, I think PBS, which is your sister, so to speak, will have challenges uh, and they will continue to grow in, in the future. As PBS is viewed by many audience, many of the, much of the audience is being an entertainment service. Downton Abbey, Sherlock Holmes, Call the Midwives programming that comes out of the United Kingdom that that my family and I enjoy immensely. I think that challenge is not one that NPR faces. We we talked earlier in this segment, Robin, about sort of news channels, video channels, becoming biased and politicized, uh, whether it's Fox or MSNBC, Sinclair, whatever. It's vitally important that NPR continue. NPR is not an entertainment service. It is a news and information services of the highest order. The day we lose NPR is the day I lose much confidence in our future. I can expect and reconcile myself, as I said, to the challenges that will confront PBS, but I will do anything in the world to see NPR keep going uh, as we overconsolidate radio telev- radio station ownership, as we politicize broadcasters like Sinclair is trying to do, as we have bias in MSNBC and Fox, sometimes we see it even now in CNN. Uh, so NPR is a, is a sine qua non for me for the future. Mm. Leo Hendry, managing partner of Media Private Equity Shop Intermedia Partners. Uh, you are about to turn... I'm not going to say your, your your age, but it's about to be your birthday, and I cannot thank you enough for coming on, and I wish you a happy, grandfatherly happy birthday. Uh, Robin, this has been a real pleasure for me. Thank you very much, and thank you, listeners. My joy. Full disclosure, our engineer is John Valentine. Find us and love us because I need your, your adoration. I need your love on NPR One and on iTunes at FullDRadio.com. We're on Twitter at FullDRadio. You know what? Holler if you'd like to sponsor. You know you want to sponsor. We are OTT, DVR, MSO, WTF, pretty much any way you like it. I'm Robin Farzad, back with you next week. Next week.